Chapter twenty five of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter twenty five. London, April to September, eighteen twenty two the essai historique sur les révolutions its effect letter from lemierre nephew of the poet life has often been represented and i was one of the first to do so as a mountain which we ascend on one side and descend on the other it would be quite as correct to compare it to one of the alps with its bare brow crowned with eternal snow and from which there is no descent following out this image the traveller is always ascending and descends no more he then has a better view of the space he has traversed of the paths which he has not selected and which would have led him by a gentler slope he looks back with regret and grief on the point where he went astray thus the publication of the essai historique marks my first wandering step from the path of peace i finished the first part of the great work i had traced out for myself i wrote its last word between the idea of death my illness had returned and a vanished dream insomnis venit imago conjugis the essay was printed by baylis and published by de boff in seventeen ninety seven this date is that of one of the transformations of my life there are moments when our destiny whether yielding to society or obeying nature or whether it is then beginning to mould us into the form we are to retain suddenly changes its direction as a river alters its course the essay offers a compendium of my existence as poet moralist civilian and politician it is unnecessary to say that i hope for great success to this work as much at least as i could hope for anything we authors little prodigies of a prodigious era aspire to commune in spirit with future generations but i think that we do not sufficiently know the dwelling of posterity and put the wrong address on our communications when we stiffen in the tomb death will so unrelentingly freeze our words written and sung that they will not melt like the frozen words of rabelais the essay was designed to be a sort of historical encyclopaedia the only volume published is in itself a very extensive investigation i had the rest in manuscript next came after some researches and annotations of the analyst the lays and virales of the poet the natures etc i can scarcely understand now how i could have carried on such extensive study amidst an active wandering life subject to so many vicissitudes my perseverance in labour explains this in my youth i often wrote for twelve or fifteen hours without moving from my seat striking out and recomposing the same page perhaps ten times age has in no degree weakened this faculty of application all my diplomatic correspondence is written by my own hand and yet it does not interfere with my literary labours the essay made a sensation among the emigres it was not in agreement with the feelings of my companions in misfortune my independence in my different social positions has almost always offended those in whose company i journeyed i have in turns been the chief of different armies the soldiers of which were not of my party i have led old royalists to fight for public liberties and especially for the liberty of the press which they detested i have rallied liberals in the name of this same liberty beneath the standard of the bourbons whom they hold in horror it so happened that the general opinion of the emigres was attached through self-love to my person the english reviews having mentioned me with praise this praise was reflected upon all the faithful i had sent copies of the essay to Larb, ganguenet and de salle lemierre the nephew of the poet of the same name and the translator of gray's poems wrote to me from paris july the fifteenth seventeen ninety seven 
but my essay had had the greatest success one thing is certain that if it was known for a moment it was almost instantly forgotten again a sudden shadow engulfed the first ray of my fame having almost become a personage i was sought by the emigres of distinction in london i moved from street to street first i quitted tottenham court road and settled myself in the hampstead road here i lodged for some months in the house of a mrs o'larry an irish widow the mother of a very pretty girl of fourteen and who had a great partiality for cats united by this similarity of taste we had the misfortune to lose two elegant kittens white as ermine with black-tipped tails mrs o'larry's visitors were old lady neighbours with whom i was obliged to take tea in the old fashion madame de steel has described this scene in corinne at the house of lady engermond my dear do you think the water boils well enough to make the tea my dear i think it is a little too soon there came also to these tea-parties a tall handsome young irishwoman mary neale under the escort of a guardian she discerned some heart wound in my appearance for she said to me you carry your heart in a sling i carried my heart i know not how mrs o'larry left for dublin then always getting from the district of poor emigres in the east end i moved from lodging to lodging till i reached the district of rich emigres at the west end and took up my abode amidst the bishops the court families and the colonists of martinique pelletier had returned he had got married and was still the old boasting chatterer lavish of his complaisance and affecting the money of his neighbours more than their persons i made several new acquaintances especially in the circle where i had family connections christian de la moignon who was severely wounded in the leg at quiberon and is now my colleague in the chamber of peers became my friend he introduced me to mrs lindsay who was attached to auguste la moignon his brother le président guillaume was not made more of at basville between boileau madame de sevigné and bordeloup than i was among these three friends mrs lindsay of irish family with rather dry wit temperament a little brittle elegant figure and pleasing face had great nobleness of soul and elevation of character the emigres of merit passed their evenings at the fireside of the last of the ninons the old monarchy was expiring with all its abuses and all its graces it will some day be disinterred like those skeletons of queens decked with collars bracelets and earrings which are being discovered in etruria at this rendezvous i met m maluet and madame du Bellois, a woman worthy of esteem count montlosier and the chevalier de panat the last mentioned had a deserved reputation for talent untidiness in his person and epicureanism he belonged to that group of men of taste who formerly sat with their arms crossed before french society idle men whose mission was to see and judge everything they exercised the functions now performed by the newspapers without the harshness of the latter but also without their great popular influence Mondoisier had kept afloat on the fame of his renowned phrase of the croix de bois a phrase a little harshly treated by me when i reproduced it but true in the main on quitting france he went to coblenz ill received by the princes he had a quarrel fought one night by the banks of the rhine and was run through feeling unable to move and yet seeing no blood he asked the witnesses whether the point of the sword came out behind three inches replied they then it is nothing said montlosier sir draw back your thrust montlosier received in this way as the reward of his royalist sentiments crossed to england and took refuge in literature that great hospital for emigres in which i had a mattress near his he obtained the editorship of the courrier francais beside his newspaper he wrote physico-politico-philosophic works in one of these he proved that blue was the colour of life because the veins become blue after death life coming to the surface of the body to evaporate and return to the blue sky as i am very fond of blue i was quite charmed with this theory 
feudally liberal an aristocrat and a democrat a motley mind made up of pieces and fragments monrosier is very long in giving utterance to his out-of-the-way ideas but when he does succeed in bringing them to light they are sometimes fine and especially energetic an anti-priest as one of the nobility a christian from sophistry and as an amateur of antiquity he would have been under paganism a warm partisan of independence in theory and slavery in practice throwing the slave to the fishes in the name of the liberty of the human race a carper and caviller obstinate and rough the former deputy of the nobility of riom nevertheless permits himself to pay some court to power he knows how to take care of his interests but does not like or allow it to be perceived and shelters his weaknesses as a man behind his honour as a gentleman i have no wish to speak ill of my smoky auvergne with his romances of the mont d'or and his polemic treatise the plain i have a liking for his whimsical person his long obscure developments and circumvolutions of ideas with parentheses clearings of the throat and peevish oh oh annoy me anything dark and tangled misty and difficult to fathom is hateful to me but on the other hand i am diverted by this naturalist of volcanoes this failure of a pascal this gigantic orator who speechifies from the tribune as his little fellow-countrymen sing at the top of a chimney i like this gazetteer of turf-pits this liberal explaining the charter through a gothic window this gentleman shepherd half married to his milkmaid sowing his barley himself amongst the snow in his little field of pebbles i shall always be grateful to him for having dedicated to me in his chalet at puy de dom an old black rock taken from a gaulish cemetery which he had discovered the abbe de lille another countryman of sidonius apollinaris of the chancellor of the hospital of lafayette thomas and chamfort driven from the continent by the torrent of the republican victories had also come to settle in london the emigres were proud to number him in their ranks he sang our misfortunes another reason for loving his muse he worked very hard indeed he was obliged to do so for madame de lille shut him up and did not set him at liberty till he had done his daily work of a certain number of verses one day i went to see him he kept me waiting a long time and when he did make his appearance his cheeks were very red people said that madame de lille used to box his ears of that i know nothing i only say what i saw who has not heard the abbe de lille repeat his verses he recited them very well his countenance ugly wrinkled and animated by his imagination was wonderfully suited to the coquettish nature of his delivery to the character of his talents and to his profession of abbe the abbe de lille's chef d'oeuvre is his translation of the georgics always excepting the pieces of sentiment but it is like reading racine translated into the language of louis the fifteenth the literature of the eighteenth century putting a few bright stars of genius out of the question standing as it were halfway between the classic literature of the seventeenth century and the romantic literature of the nineteenth though not without what is natural is wanting in nature devoted to the arrangement of words it is neither sufficiently original as a new school nor sufficiently pure as an antique school the abbe de lille was the poet of modern chateaux as the troubadour was the poet of ancient ones the verses of the one and the ballads of the other give evidence of the difference which existed between aristocracy in its prime and aristocracy in its decrepitude the abbe describes readings and chess parties in the manor-houses where the troubadours sang of crusades and tournaments the distinguished personages of our church militant were then in england the abbe caron of whom i have spoken when borrowing the life of my sister julie from him the bishop of st paul de leon a stern and narrow-minded prelate who contributed to make the count d'artois more and more a stranger to his contemporaries the archbishop of aix calumniated perhaps because of his success in the world 
and another learned and pious bishop but so avaricious that if he had had the misfortune to lose his soul he would never have repurchased it almost all avaricious men are men of talent i must therefore be very stupid amongst the french women of the west end was madame de boine amiable spirituelle full of talent extremely pretty and very young she has since in conjunction with her father the marquis d'osmond represented the court of france in england much better than such a savage as i she writes now and her talents will reproduce what she has seen with great cleverness Madame de Comorn, de Gontaut, and du Cluzel were also inhabitants of the quarter of fortunate emigrants, though I may perhaps be making a confusion with regard to Madame de Comorn and Madame du Cluzel, whom I had seen for a short time at Brussels. Certain it is that the Duchess de Durat was in London at this time, but it was not my fortune to become acquainted with her till ten years later. How many times in life do we pass by some object that would constitute its charm, as the navigator glides unconsciously over the waters, which lave the shores of a land favoured by heaven, and which he has only missed by a few miles, or by one day's sail. I write this on the banks of the Thames, and to-morrow a letter will go to Madame Durin on the banks of the Seine, to tell her that I have met with the first souvenir of her. End of chapter 25